Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Kelsey. And Jeff, and we are here to tell you a bit about our partner Anchor. We know that you're a fan of this podcast and maybe you thought, hey, I want to make a podcast too. Well, we have great news for you guys. We want to tell you all about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast for a few reasons, but to start out, it's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Plus, you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it, you guys, and enjoy the show. Today's guest is one of the few A-listers who is truly self-made. Writing, directing, producing, and starring in his first film led him to the Cannes Film Festival. He eventually caught the eye of Steven Spielberg, which led to a starring role in the blockbuster hit Saving Private Ryan and began his career as a movie star. His roles in The Fast and Furious, Triple X, and Riddick put him among an elite class of actors to star in multiple film franchises. This is not to mention the other future franchises he's rumored to be joining and developing. He has 46 million likes on Facebook, making him the second most popular male star next to Will Smith. To date, he starred in films grossing over $3.2 billion worldwide and Riddick will take that to the next level. Most know him as one of the world's leading action heroes and movie stars. 
and some know him as a cutting-edge filmmaker who continues to invest in himself and blaze his own path. But me? For the past 11 years, I've seen him as a jovial family man, a devoted artist, and as one of my closest friends in Hollywood. I'm Maria Menounos, and this is my conversation with Vin Diesel. Hi. Beautiful. <laughs> wow. You like that? <laughs> I, I like it so much. I mean, I don't know what else I could say that was just so sweet and so real. So true. And so true. So true. A lot has happened in the last 11 years since I first met you. You're a father. You've had, you know, so many more successful franchises that you've, you know, been a part of and produced and starred in and done. It's incredible. You got your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame just recently. And then Riddick's coming up, which is your baby. How Surreal. excited are you? I, I'm so excited that it's coming out. I'm so excited that it's coming out. And to talk to somebody who is one of my closest friends in Hollywood is, you know, Maria and I, it's, it's funny to actually do um, a conversation here because <laughs> Maria and I, I have had many, many a conversation mm -hmm. throughout that throughout the last 11 years and you should have been on some of those. <laughs> uh, but to the degree where even before I did Fast and Furious, Maria was saying, you have to do Triple X again. And this was before I ever returned to a franchise. So it was actually very cutting edge. And just to kind of contextualize it for everyone, when we shot Chronicles of Riddick, Maria was the one that came and had the exclusive on the set in Vancouver in 2003 while we were shooting Chronicles of Riddick. And she was so immersed and so, I guess, into the, the, I, the movie that we were shooting that she opted to go for a stunt ride. So she was <laughs> harnessed up. I can remember to this day, she was harnessed up and flying through the air on a green screen set um, yeah. just to feel what it was like to be a part of that Riddick experience. That was like a kid in a candy store. It was, it so, was fun. so fun. It was so fun. But to, to go from there, 2003, and to come to 213, 10 years mm -hmm. later, is it surreal for you to see people walking around with Fury and t-shirts or to see billboards that are saying... No, this is going to happen. Oh, yeah, because you were not stopping until it did. I mean, Fury and Fridays, they're finally going to actually get to see their movie. Like you said, on Friday, they've been waiting for so long. <laughs> and you did this for them because they wanted you to do this. I really, really did. Uh, well, I, I'd like to think that I do all the movies for the fans. It's my occupation. It's my livelihood. But... The choosing of which movie to do, the order of, uh, you know, order in which I do the movies, really comes from the feedback that I get from the social media. We're just in a different time right now. Mm -hmm. We're in a time right now where the audience's voice counts. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's kind of a foreign idea to Hollywood. It's not how Hollywood was constructed. It's, it wasn't the premise behind building Hollywood. The premise behind building Hollywood was we manufacture our movies and we put them out. 
And once we're done manufacturing them, once we're done creating them, it's out of our hands and we really don't care about what the feedback is. Mm -hmm. We care about critics, but we don't care about the everyman. But you also had no control at that point because it's not like you could really, I mean, unless you're going to invest in research groups and test groups. And you had no control at yeah. that point. You had, and so I think a lot of people, when social media started, didn't really make the connection of how helpful that would be as an artist um, to even decide where to place your effort. I mean, it's not like there's a you know, stock analysis that you could look up and say, this is where I should put all my stocks. If you were a stock trader, how do you know what, what movie yeah. to do? How do you know it's the right time to do Fast and Furious or the right time to do Riddick or the right time to do Hannibal or the right time to do Triple X or any of those things? And it's, I rely so much on the feedback. I mean, the thing I'm most excited about right now is reading comments over the next couple of days about people's experience yeah. seeing their fury in back on the screen. So exciting. That's exciting. That's something. And I got one this morning from someone in Edinburgh in Scotland. And he said that he went to see Riddick with his son. And he said it was well, well worth the wait. And he said, here's to the next one. And will there be a next one? <laughs> Can uh, you give it up? I don't know. I will say that the intention was always to ultimately go to Underverse, and, which is where everyone assumed we were going at the end of Chronicles of Riddick. We were supposed to be in the Underverse. And I guess the reason why we have a, a movie is because we didn't take no for an answer. So when the budget was too big for the studio to make sense of, mm -hmm. we took it outside of the studio. And, and that's what people are like. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. Like completely abuzz about today. It was breaking on the web yesterday that you mortgaged your home or homes, I don't know to make Riddick. It was a very tricky time. Tricky and scary, I'm sure. Super scary. The holiday season in 2011 was so, I can remember the time, I was so uh, anxious, I was so, um, I was concerned, and I'll tell you something here that I haven't told anybody. There was a, there was some fine print 
in the deal that was constructed, where if I did the Tokyo cameo, the cameo in Tokyo Drift, the studio would just give me Riddick back and say, you can make Riddick. It was a huge victory at that point. I remember that. You remember that? Yeah. I walked I you through you the whole deal me, before yeah. anyone knew I was going to come out in the, the cameo. I was saying, Maria, what do you think about this? I was like, do it, do it, do it, do it. They want me to do this cameo, <laughs> and they'll give me Riddick back. Um, so I had to do it, because uh, for, for the last 10 years, the Riddick audience has been wanting the continuation of that mythology. So when, uh, when, I, when I made that deal to do the cameo, Universal was never anticipating doing five, six. It was a miracle if four was going to work in their mind. Yeah. They were ready to give up on the franchise. And when we made the deal, they gave me a year and a half. If I couldn't make the movie in a year and a half, the rights would revert back to Universal. Which is a tall order. A huge order. <laughs> Especially if you haven't shot Fast and Furious 4 yet, 5 or 6, um, but especially 4. So if you're in production, that's going to eat so much of your time. So I think there was a part of, there was some thinking that we can give Vin the option and he'll never be able to execute it. Mm -hmm. Because he'll never have time to do it. But they don't know you. <laughs> They don't know the Vin we all know. Oh, God. Am mm -hmm. I that bad? I think they're figuring it out. Though. I think they're figuring it out. <laughs> I think everyone's starting I to think catch on. I think they're beginning to... What you've known for years yeah. is slowly leaking, even though, you know, there's great comfort in being the lughead that, uh, <laughs> you know... Yeah. But I had... Far I, from it. I had a time limit. Yeah. So in 2011, if, if I would have waited... Two weeks more, all the work that had been put into that up until that point would have been for naught because the rights would have reverted back to Universal mm. and I never would have had the ability or the right to make that movie. So it's a miracle that Riddick exists. It's a miracle that we are back on the boards. It's a miracle that we just unlocked the key to the continuation of this franchise. My question, why? You, why do you love taking such risks, <laughs> doing the impossible? You could just say yes to all these other movies and kind of float. Easily, I could easily. Why, it I mean, why? You're mortgaging your house, you're putting everything on the line for a movie that you're taking a big risk yes, because clearly, of the last one. Clearly. Scary. It was something, something happens when you really engage in your social media world. The sense of responsibility that you feel after hours of reading comments alone, and you know how, what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. It's a surreal experience. Anybody that manages their own a lot of Facebook pages aren't managed by the artists. Yeah. And so they miss out, quite frankly. They miss out on that invaluable feedback. Mm -hmm. And as an artist, the, the, the feedback is both therapeutic and 
in some ways guides your next move. Mm-hmm. And so it's invaluable. Um, so the reason why I had to make Riddick was because I, once I made the deal in 2006, I had already let it out the bag in an exciting way. I felt like, guys, you guys have been asking for Riddick. There is going to be another Riddick. This is before I fully engaged into my Facebook page. As I engaged further, it became very clear that there is an audience out there that is such die-hard Riddick fans that it didn't matter what movie I did. It didn't matter that Fast Six was breaking world records Mm -hmm. and breaking every record that Universal ever had. Uh, They had to have this one character that they probably identified with of mine before any other character. It, it was a year... I, I, I came out with Riddick a year before I did Fast and Furious. So long ago. In fact, when I did... <laughs> when I did Riddick, when I did Pitch Black, I was all but lying to David Toohey telling him I was the star of Saving Private Ryan. (laughs) And thank God I filmed the movie, Pitch Black, before Saving Private Ryan came out. (laughs) Because when Saving Private Ryan came out, he said, hey, Vin, you told me you were the star of this movie. You died in the first one second. (laughs) But Uh, he said, he goes, when I auditioned him, he said that you you didn't really, you know, pop that much. He knew there was something, but he was... He said it was your will, right? It was my will, and I have to give credit to, to Ted Fields mm. because Ted Fields was having none of it. He was not going to... He, he, Ted Fields was the one that came to Sundance and saw strays in the theater yeah. at Dramatic Competition. That's 1997. Ted Fields saw that movie at Sundance before Steven Spielberg wrote the role in Saving Private Ryan. And I say that because he obviously deserves the credit. While I was shooting Saving Private Ryan, I, although I had been acting for over 20 years, I had never made more than $7,000 in one year as an actor and therefore was never eligible for health benefits. But because of Sundance, when I came back from Sundance, Ted Fields, who also had the Pitch Black script, wanted me to write a story about my years as a bouncer in New York. So while I was shooting Saving Private Ryan, at night I was moonlighting and writing a script uh, about doormen in, in, in New York. Mm-hmm. And what that allowed for was insurance. I was insured by the Writers Guild while I was shooting Saving Private Ryan and not insured by the Actors Guild. Crazy. And so he's, he dates that far back. Yeah. So he always had... It, he knew. It, the first person to know, before David Toohey, and I love David Toohey. Of course. But the first person to know was, was Ted Fields, who is, you know, is also responsible for Eminem, is also responsible for all these other musical artists and what have you. He's been kind of at the forefront of pop culture for so many decades. He's the one that said, Vin has to be Riddick. You know, you said that this is your life story. Tell me why you say that. What is it? Um, 
this is my life for a, a number of reasons. Uh, I think, <laughs> um, well, I, I think we all can identify with being underestimated. Mm -hmm. I think that's something we can all feel and we can all kind of place in our lives that moment where we felt underestimated, where we might have felt given up on. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we all have felt overlooked. And I think this character epitomizes that. He is a guy that is perpetually misinterpreted and misread and ruled out, really. And, but when, when the studio needs to make money <laughs> or, when, so, <laughs> or when somebody wants to live, <laughs> whether it's keeping a studio afloat or whether it's getting off a planet, uh, same thing. It, they're either going to go to Riddick or they're going to go to Ben. And so I can identify with that. Um, more importantly, uh, there is a therapeutic nature to playing the Chronicles of Riddick character. And it's the way in which Riddick's character is unraveled. There is a strange parallel to the way that my identity for myself has unraveled. I started this world, I came into this world with kind of very mysterious conditions. I didn't know who my biological father was. That wasn't going to be a luxury in my life yeah. to, to know that. And I was very, very, very blessed that when I was an infant, months old, uh, my mother met such a wonderful person that would become my father. Because, and you know my father, Maria. Mm -hmm. You love my father. Um, he has been so... Um, I can only imagine if my mom tried to raise me alone without him, yeah. how much my life would be different. Um, he, I was a kid, I was three years old, four or five years old, and I would watch my father coming home in costume. Um, he was doing plays all over New York. He was a theater director. It was an actor's community. It was an artist community. And at a very young age, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so, the, the parallel between the Riddick character and my own quest for identity and understanding how I got to this planet <laughs> is very similar to Riddick kind of mm -hmm. wondering how did he get to this place uh, that he is in this. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier 
kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. It's universe. And there is something very powerful about that, the, the, the affinity of the character and, and my own life. And there truly is something therapeutic. So for me to be a recluse for four months in preparation for the character um, is something that I welcome because there's something so therapeutic about the character. Yeah. It's just such a different headspace. Um, and even to see it back, I'm sure, is therapy to see it up there because when I watched the trailer and I saw the first line or I heard the first line it said don't know how many times I've been crossed off the list and left for dead it knocked me because I knew (laughs) that was you so true and so you connect with that because I know you do so true right but we all do but we all do we all know that feeling isn't it ironic that a character like an intergalactic killer like Riddick, could be a character that we identify with more than most characters that we'll see <laughs> in the film in theater this year? Yeah. We identify with Riddick. The, the scary thing is how many people identify with Riddick. Oh, yeah. And, and the killing is really just killing them with success. It's just, <laughs> I love that. Which I just get so excited about. I love it. I love that. It's a, it's a special character to me. Uh, it is the first character that blew me away. When I read the character, I felt like, here's a quintessential anti-hero that, that is so quintessentially an anti-hero. And I haven't read a character, I haven't seen a character like that. I haven't seen a character with that kind of arc. Nobody expected when they went to see Pitch Black that how the movie would turn out. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought something else would have happened. It really, it's a testament to David Toohey. Uh, it, it really reversed, I mean, it, it played off your expectations in a really artistically interesting way. So I was in love with that character because of that. And then there were all these films that I was turning down mm-hmm. because of this weird need to protect this Riddick character. The depth of the Riddick character felt so much more real to me than the spandex heroic characters that I was being offered. Yeah. It, was, it was something I did not want to... I didn't want to dilute that, that character at all by playing anything similar to it. Um, but yeah... It's uh, th- th- there's a therapeutic element to playing the Riddick character that is not easy to do, and I will say, you know, I, I don't want to mislead anybody with the recent su- recent success of Fast and Furious. I'm not going to be able to do Riddick <laughs> at the same pace as Fast and Furious. It's just <laughs> it's just too dark. Yeah. It's just it's too dark. I wonder, you know, Riddick has a personal code. What's your personal code? What is my personal code? 
cool, right? I should ask you. You know me so damn well. <laughs> you could probably answer that question. I probably could. Myself. But they want to know what you would say. What's my personal code? Um, I'm sure it's not very different in some ways. I'm sure there are some similarities there. I Yeah. Um, in Hollywood, the executives say I'm loyal to a fault. In a good way. In a good way. Fault's a fault. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I definitely have been, have been charged with being loyal to a fault. And I, I can't shake that. I think it comes from you know, growing up and surviving in a metropolis like New York City, where your code and your honor is sometimes all you have. Mm -hmm. And so I take that very serious. Um, I remember my father, I used to, I, as you know, I was a bouncer for many years. I remember coming home one night after a big fight and I run up to the kitchen, I get ice and I'm my hands swollen and I'm just another day at work. And uh, I was feeling like just bummed about I, the fact that I was still doing this job after all this time. And um, at that one moment I was like, why are people, what, what, what's up? Why do people have so much anger? Why do I have to, you know, why is this my daily life to, suppress everybody's anger or check everybody's anger that comes into the giant 3,000 person nightclub. Mm -hmm. And my father, it was so simple, but my father said, um, you know, Vin, I've traveled around the world. I've been to India. I've been to Russia. I've been to China. I've been all, I've been to South, all through South America. And I've realized something. I said, what? He said, People, by and large, are good people. Sounded pretty simple, and yet it meant so much. And if you look at my Facebook page, or if you look at the way that all that positive energy, I don't think there's a page in the world, in history, that harbors as much positive energy as one would see on this Facebook page. And it's, it's what you put out too. And it's really that. Right? And, and I say that because I say that because if you believe that in your heart, and not everybody watching this can say that, or is ready to say that, or is comfortable with themselves enough to say that. But if you really believe in your heart that people by and large are good people. It affects the way that you address the world as you see post in and post out. I, I address a world that in my soul I feel is comprised of good people. I love that. That's why you always have a twinkle in your eye. <laughs> That's why you're so fucking beautiful. Oh. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about ugh, so many things, but I want to go into um, upcoming roles okay. and things because 
you know, one would think that you get offered so many roles and you're trying to figure out what to do. Is this still a time where you're auditioning for anything? Like if Woody Allen called you tomorrow and said, I want you to audition for something, would you do it? Yeah, I mean, actually Woody Allen wanted to offer me a role. Okay. And uh, of course Universal <laughs> couldn't carve me out dates from Fast Six. Ah, oh, I know you love him, right? I do. I mean, I, 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 I had, I was lucky enough to work with one of my heroes, Sidney Lumet. Um, I love New York directors mm -hmm. um, because that's where I, I love all directors, but I, I grew up in New York, so I have, you know, a special place for New York directors. I started as a New York director. Yes. Both films I ever directed were both shot in New York. Uh, so I'd love to work with, with a Woody Allen. Um, my take on auditioning is different. I don't even like to really audition actors for the movies that I'm producing. I don't think that auditioning yields the best results. I, don't, I think that there are people that can come in that are really good at formulaic and auditioning and don't pop in the magical way when it's screen time, when it's showtime. And you can get more from a person by talking to them and knowing who they are uh, than you can by asking them to read usually half-cooked sides. You know, mm -hmm. when you get sides and you're auditioning, this isn't usually the best writing. It's leftover writing from a first draft that gives you an idea yeah. of what the character is. Sometimes you're reading lines for another character. Uh, and and I, you have no context sometimes and either. And there's no context. You don't have so a full script to really understand the character. And, and, and I remember when I got back from Sundance, I was so... It was it was interesting not to, to to have Steven Spielberg not go through the auditioning process, and not only not go through the auditioning process, but having written a role. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Based off of multifacial. That says something. That says, that introduced me to a new way of finding talent, right? So he wasn't doing the traditional cattle call thing that I had grown up with. And I felt like I had spent 20 years licking stamps, writing cover letters, attaching them to mm -hmm. headshots, going to the mail, going to the post office, waiting online, sending them out every week, buying the Ross reports 
writing cover letters to every person <laughs> literally for years. And I got to a point right after Sundance where I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I, I can't wait for anybody. It was a principal matter for me as well. I felt like I had auditioned so much and nothing was happening that if I waited too long, I would miss my opportunity to do it. And in order to do it, I had to take an independent route. Did and I had help. to write. I mean, I came out to California when I was 23 years old. I'd already been acting for 15 years. I literally thought, I came out and was like, you guys haven't seen anything like this since De Niro. Doors <laughs> are going to open up. I'm going to get big agents. I'm going to be a big movie star. And I didn't even get an agent. Because don't you think most people know before everyone else knows? Like, I'm like, J-Lo knew she was going to be J-Lo before she was J-Lo. You knew you were going to be them before, right? I did know. You in, have to. In spite of the evidence. Yeah. In spite of the evidence, I did know. A lot, it's interesting that you say that, Maria, because we hear people say, I knew. And it's so hard for us to, as viewers, verify that. Yeah. How do we verify, then, that you knew you were going to be this movie star? Yeah. We have no way. Um, I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember working outside of the tunnel. It was a cold winter night. And back in the 80s. And the tunnel was a club on 27th Street in the West Side Highway in New York City. Infamous club. And uh, there was a lotto going on that weekend. And everyone went out to grab their lotto tickets. And everyone at the front gate was talking about their lotto tickets, all the bouncers. And, I, and they said, Vin, did you get your, your, your lotto ticket? And I said, no, I didn't. And I'm not going to. I said, come on, man. I said, no, I, I don't want to get the lotto ticket and I don't want to win a million dollars. Everyone at the front door was like, bullshit, come on. That's a, how could you not want to win? I said, let a plumber win the lotto ticket. I will make my own. Nobody could believe it. And to the point wow. where I went home and my mother was up and I went to my mother. I said, Am I crazy? I don't want to win lotto. I'm not going to spend a dollar on it. I don't want to win something like that. I don't want that to be my legacy. I want to earn it the hard way. Yeah. And I want to earn it with what I believe in and a talent that I have confidence in. And she, and I remember her saying, I completely understand. And that was all I needed. And that confidence. And that confidence. Is what brings us here today. What will bring you to direct Hannibal, which we have to talk about. Oh, my God. Because that's been a long time coming. It's been so long. When are we going to get to see this? I mean, let's talk about a major undertaking, obviously. You, I, you've, you've gone on the elephants. You've yeah, been over. I mean, you've done everything to I was prepare. In Tunisia. Yeah. I remember I, I had been preparing for so long. And in um, 2009, Christmas 2009, uh, my father said to me, after I'd gone to, I, I went all over Spain. I New Carthage is in Spain. The story, ironically, takes, more, takes place in Spain over the Pyrenees and into the Alps. Mm -hmm. I, during Christmas, was talking to my father and in 2009, and he said, if you 
if in or you will never be able to make Hannibal unless you go stand in Carthage. Something okay. I mean, I, I've done everything, but you're Gotta saying so riding an African elephant, the most dangerous and largest African elephant in all of the Americas, isn't enough. Mm-hmm. He said, "You cannot, then, my son, you cannot tell this story unless you stand in Carthage." So I went to Carthage a month before the revolution started. And I stood in those sacred grounds. I saw the ruins. I was able to touch the ruins that this story played out. And I still didn't get it made after that. Uh, in the it's next coming, interview. though. But boy, is it coming. Because you, you have been re- reaching out to Spielberg and others for sure, help to figure sure. out when the time comes. And having worked with Stephen and Sidney LeMay, mm-hmm. who obviously, you know... Amazing. What did they teach you that maybe you'll bring to Hannibal? Well, Steven Spielberg gave me some great notes on the project. And, you know, he, he wanted to... His, a, a lot of the books that we read about Hannibal speak of his accomplishments and his victories and how clever he is and how clever he was as a military genius. But Steven Spielberg still wanted more setbacks. Um, he didn't care how. He just said, Vinny, you've got to have more setbacks for our protagonist. Mm-hmm. And that helped the process because he was right. So I was able to go back and, with Franzoni and start work, Franzoni, who wrote Gladiator. And, One of uh, my favorites. And start setting in yeah. some of the... Uh, some of the resistance and the setbacks for our hero. I think, you know, what people don't know about you, too, is how involved you are in every stitch of every frame on the screen. Because, you know, having been to your house, you've got boards and visuals and you're writing till all hours of the night. I mean, these anything you put out is your baby. You are so involved. True. How do you walk that line when you have, when you're not, let's say, directing something and you are producing and acting? How do you, how are you a filmmaker, but walk that line? How do I pseudo filmmake? Yeah. Um, That's tough. It's very tough. The biggest hat trick in Hollywood, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm I'm lucky because the, the fact that I'm a producer uh, allows me to be more accountable and being more accountable allows me more access. Um, the one area I don't get access in actually in, in my life, which is probably going to be the thing that forces me back into the directive chair is post. Mm. I'm, I haven't broken into the editing room. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah, I have. I'm shocked too. I haven't broken into the editing room. So any of the movies that you've seen in the last five years have not had... The one input that they don't have is my input in editing and uh, in that post-process. And so that's... If it wasn't for that, I could just enjoy all the creativity that producing it at my level and my style of producing allows. Uh, casting, general directions of stories, um, themes, what the story will be, 
uh, I'm the one that's forcing Universal to make sure that eight and nine is mapped out before I shoot seven, which is not something that yeah. anyone would ever do. Uh, but I feel wholeheartedly that the audience has now built a trust about how the films stack, not just how the film plays, but how the films stack and relate to one another, which is one of the coolest things about the last three Fast and Furious films. So when I think about Hannibal and when I'm trying to answer the biggest riddle in Hollywood, would I foolishly step into that director's chair after having not directed a feature film in so long mm -hmm. um, and having the weight of playing the hardest character of my life, which will be Hannibal. Um, that's the trickiest question. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, five years ago, Hollywood would have made that very easy for me and said, you definitely ain't directing it. Yeah. Uh, but after the last five years, I'm, I'm hearing executives suggesting me directing it, and it blows my mind. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. And I just try to play it cool. And <laughs> I'm hearing an executive suggesting me directing this big film. It's a, it's a great sense of validation. It's a huge compliment. And it's very, very harrowing. And it's so funny. I was, um, I was out maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago, right after Fast Five came out. And someone said to me, oh, hey, Vin. Oh, such a pleasure to meet you. What's it like? waking up every morning and being Vin Diesel. And I said, <laughs> I don't think like that. I wake up every morning saying, I haven't made Hannibal yet. To the degree that when I was getting my Hollywood star, the night before, I was thinking, is this premature? I haven't made Hannibal. Yeah. And I, it, it, there are probably more people that don't know that, that promise I have to fulfill. Uh, but there are so many people that do know. And in my heart, I feel like it's going to be the most arduous road of all of them, as it's proven to be over the last decade. Um, That's a tough one. 
And yet... And tough one, too, because you have kids now, and they're just growing up, and you're probably wanting to enjoy this time with them. And if you jump into this, it's going to take everything you have. And you've even said, being a movie star, you have to be a little selfish. And You really do. This I mean, is an undertaking that would take you away from that. It does, is that a consideration for you? Sure. Being um, very much a consideration. It, was, it, it, it so much affects my work that I didn't do... Fast and Furious, I didn't do Riddick before Fast Five because I was expecting a child. And I know it sounds like the two aren't related, but to really go into the dark space, to really go into that dark space, that's Riddick. I couldn't bring a life into the world. I couldn't be a loving dad and also a sick sociopath like like Riddick <laughs> yeah. at the same time because I can't drop the character so easy so I really do need to go uh, and meditate on the character and then stay in the pocket while I'm filming it yeah I remember when Sidney Lumet was winning his Oscar in 2005 I remember because he showed a clip of a movie that was coming out which was still in the can at the time find me guilty and my agents were telling me that Oscars never in history ran a clip from a movie that wasn't released yet and how unique that was and how unusual it was that Finding Guilty was being played on the 2005 Oscars. And I remember when Sidney Lumet got up there and he got his award, he said, this goes out to Piety, Amy, and Jenny who have his wife and his respective kids, who have paid more dues than I. Mm. And that's truth. Anybody that is in our industry, anybody, even Maria, will have family members and loved ones paying to some degree Mm -hmm. for the amount of work that they are dedicated feel obliged or responsible to deliver to the public. It's just a fact. Do you, speaking of Oscars, because I've been thinking about that, we've never talked about Oscars. We've never talked about how important it is to you and your life and in your journey to be there someday. Talk to me. (laughs) Oscars! Oscars. Um... Hmm. And we've had so many conversations sure over all of these years, so many long, yes. in-depth conversations. Yes, we have. Never talked about that. Huh. I gotta say, I, I usually. The, the quest for an Oscar is to fulfill some sense of accomplishment. That sense of accomplishment I have already had fulfilled just from the response, just from knowing how my work translates to people and how my work is received. 
I also will say, sometimes as an artist, you'll look at somebody win an Oscar, and if the person, if, and no one says this to anybody in Hollywood, but every actor feels this, every director feels this, every writer feels this, when, if you ever feel like somebody might have gotten an Oscar slightly undeservingly, mm. it does lower the stock of the Oscar. That's a reality. If you, and anyone can identify with that. If, if you feel like somebody got an Oscar and maybe they shouldn't have gotten it and it was too political, or if you felt like there was a studio spending too much money to make sure that that happened, as a New Yorker, as an East Coaster, <laughs> there's a little part of you that goes, oh, come on, man. Yeah. I thought I was supposed to work my whole life for this thing. Having said that, there isn't an artist in the world, in our industry, that wouldn't want to show their parents an Oscar. Yeah. So, my father believes that I'm going to get an Oscar someday. And... For all his hard work and dedication, it would be nice to get it while he's alive. That would be special. Add me to the list. <laughs> Add me to the list. I know we have to wrap because I'm getting a wrap because I know you have things to do. I love your but, toenails. Uh, thanks. <laughs> but I do, very quickly, you have to just tell me yes or no. Yes. Last, winch, last Witch Hunter. Last Witch Hunter. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to give you a, a Maria. Groot. Yes. Can, you told me Groot already. Gorgeous. Can, <laughs> do I have to give you quick? Yes, because I have to hurry. I got to get this. You Your fans want to know these things. Can I just elaborate, or am I not um, allowed to elaborate? I don't know if we can elaborate very quickly. I know. I know. Why am we'll I getting kicked again. out of talk shows? <laughs> This is crazy. I came on a talk show to talk. There's so many. Look at it. So many other this questions. This is insane. But... I come on a talk show to talk and it's shut up. Stop talking. Get out of here. But here's the thing. What's this world coming if to? If I don't ask this. It should be a silent show. I mean, people are tweeting. They're like, we need to know. He did the Dungeons and Dragons forward. And we need to know this. And we need to know that. And I'm, I'm like, okay. I'm tell you I anything. promise. I Maria, promise I will get it very this quickly. This is long overdue. <laughs> Please feel free to ask me whatever you want at your own pace. So the first one. Go for it. The last witch hunter. Yes. Lionsgate. Lionsgate has said they, after making Twilight and after making Hunger Games or being associated with those two, they wanted to create a third franchise. And what attracted me about playing a witch hunter is something that it kind of appeals to my Dungeons and Dragons history. Uh -huh. And that is, I had a character named Melkor, and very few people know where I took, stole that name from, but it'll prove that I'm more of a token fan than anyone would imagine. Okay. Um, they know, they know. <laughs> uh, they know, they know. And, uh, and so much so that Triple that X had Melkor tattooed over his stomach, which was my character in Dungeons and Dragons, when I used to play Dungeons and Dragons in this artist community in downtown Manhattan, wee hours of the night with artists and probably some of the best times of my life. And so when, they, when, when Lionsgate came to me and said, would you like to play a witch hunter? That's lived for 400 and something years. 
and is a 400-year-old New Yorker. Duh. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, you're making this kind of hard to say no to. Uh, and uh, I met with this great director, Breck Eisner, and his enthusiasm is top. You could feel it. Um, Check. And so it's it's happening. It's definitely on the plus side of things. Okay. It's the the next couple of years is really going to be dictated by scheduling, because um, is it something that I'm I'm interested in? Yes. Is it something that I'd like to shoot? Yes. Uh, do I like uh, starting a kind of a new genre with um, and seeing, you know, I've never made a movie with Lionsgate. I do like what they've done with Hunger Games. I do like what they've done with Twilight. Um, so okay. I, I'd be definitely, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in exploring that. And your daughter said yes to Groot. My daughter said yes to Groot. <laughs> Your new manager. I love my her. My <laughs> new manager. My, my messiah. I came home and I had a giant... Marvelous. They're so shrewd. I mean, the, you have to understand. When I met with Marvel, it wasn't for anything immediate. It was to talk about a film that would be introduced in the phase three part of Marvel. So not for a few years. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to see it for a few years. And, and in my mind, Marvel was doing it right. They were enrolling me at the ground level, yeah. which is the best way to enroll me. And, um, and I had heard over the last year people on, on the social media page saying, what's up, Vin? Why aren't you going to Marvel? Why aren't you doing anything with Marvel? What? It's, it's, it's a, natural. It would be a crime of cinematic report, uh, history for you not to be in the Marvel. And so I'm thinking, this Marvel thing is really becoming really important to these people. Um, okay, what can I do? What should I think of? I get the call. I go down to meet with Marvel. A great meeting. I mean, it was just, it was, it, it was even talking about something so big I can't even talk about because it's, it's like a, 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 the merging of brands in a way, which I won't get into. But that was something way, 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 way down the road. Okay. And so uh, this happened. I think a, I know what you might be talking uh, about. This, uh, <laughs> this happened a week before um, Comic-Con. So I went down to Comic-Con for Riddick, Hall H, so excited, haven't been to Comic-Con since Pitch Black, so it must have been over 10 years since I was in Comic-Con. It's changed dramatically. But totally your place. But totally my place. Yeah. Totally my vibe. And so I get there, and I go through all the Riddick questions, and at the very end, there is a guy, and we, I, I'm, I like to talk about movies and I love when people want to talk about movies so I sometimes talk too much um, <laughs> so your publicist is like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I do Jeff's they like, hate it yeah. like, he will talk to you forever he loves talking to you <laughs> the sun's going to come down here I know and it's We're you Maria here. I know like, well, but they also know that we you do can't talk do this, 3, Maria. Yeah, don't do this Maria. you're going to get him you're going to keep him here until dawn I promise um, and so I, I get down to Comic Con and 
we've answered all these questions and the audience is just screaming because they just saw a clip of Riddick. And there's been this guy standing at the microphone for the last 15 minutes. And he is... I, and, and, and Drew, the guy that had seen the movie Riddick and gave great compliments on stage, is wrapping it up because of my publicist saying, get him off, get him off. <laughs> um, Poor Jeff. And so, and so, I love you, Jeff. You're the and, best. And so just as we're getting off, just as we're about to get off, I felt bad that this guy had been standing there. Of course you did. Of course I did. And so, like, and so I said, Can wait a minute. The guy's been standing there. Can he just ask a question? And, <laughs> you know, I tried to do the right thing, and this is what happened. He said, Vin, can you tell us what the vision of your Marvel-Vin relationship will be? And the whole audience erupted. And they were like, we got you! We got you. They were hoping that this guy would ask this question. And I was, I was like a deer in headlights. And I had, we had agreed not to say anything uh, about the specifics of the meeting. So now I've got the fans who I love more than I love the industry. You know, I love every. And I'm thinking, they're asking me this question. I've got to be real with them. I've got to tell them something. And yet, I want to be respectful about everyone's process. And yeah. if, if people like to do a slow reveal, you know. But um, you're of the people. But I'm of the people, <laughs> and and quite frankly, it would have been too much to say, and I, it would have been a too much, and it might have been anticlimactic to say we're working on something for two sixteen. And so I just said, you're going to hear some really big news, and I left into that, and it went crazy uh, and 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 I think Marvel got blindsided by how invested that audience was going to be mm -hmm. how much of my fan base was going to say wait a minute is this is even possible we want it now now here's the tricky part there was so I so I leave Comic-Con they asked them they're they get knocked out by the question. They not, they're totally blindsided by it. But I had a feeling they were going to walk into that. And uh, the next Monday, um, I talked to, the Marvel talks to me and send, says, we're going to send something over in two weeks. Say, so we want to focus on the 216, but we also want to, if possible, answer this growing request for something now. I don't have six months to play a character in the immediate, in the immediate future. It's all booked yeah. as you'll go on talking about all the projects. There was no way I was going to be able to deliver. Yeah. There was no way Marvel was going to be able to deliver. After Comic-Con, we were at a stalemate. There was no way we were going to be able to answer the fans. Frustrating. Very frustrating. And then Kevin Feige and James Gunn came up with something brilliant. Even if I didn't understand how brilliant it was when I first got it. They sent over the script to Guardians of the Galaxy. And they sent over a giant book of conceptual art. You love your visuals. 
<laughs> that was going to be. A, by the way, that was going to be a post. Yeah. That was going to be a post. Whenever I would come over, you're like, I need visuals. Bring <laughs> visuals. What are you working on now? I need visuals. <laughs> so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, <laughs> I was going to say, everyone knows I'm a sucker for conceptual art. Yep. I am a real sucker for conceptual mm-hmm. art. In fact, I did just a little piece of trivia. I did Dom Toretto. I agreed to Dom Toretto before reading the script. And the reason why I agreed to Dom Toretto is because I was at the Four Seasons having a cranberry and club soda with Rob Cohen. And he described to me one scene. He gave me the visual. He described it of the camera going through my eyes, down my arm, and into the clutch and into the engine of the car. And in 1998, that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And that's how I became Don Toretto. From that one visualization that he was able to impart just by talking it out. Okay, so they sent over the visuals. I look at the visuals first and I'm like, oh my God. This is some of the best conceptual art I have seen in my life. So, um, (laughs) but the request was a little bit, hmm, they want me to play a tree. (laughs) You wanted them to talk, Vin's going to be talking. (laughs) Uh, And and so they said, they wanted me to play a tree. They said there was something akin to Iron Giant about this tree. And everyone knows I'm a sucker for the Iron Giant. But I'm still like... And another thing that nobody knows is I always loved the Andy Serkis portrayal of Gollum as an actor and as a performer. I always thought that was one of the coolest challenges and one of the coolest things to do. To, like, if if Peter Jackson would have asked me to play a dragon, I would have loved to have played a dragon. But to really mocap it. So when, when, when Kevin Feige and James Gunn said, we want you to voice a character that historically is known for only saying one line, it was not dissimilar to David Toohey saying, I want you to do Riddick, but I don't want you to interact with anyone in the whole first act. There's something challenging about that and fun about that. So where someone else would have said, this is crazy, one line, I thought of it as an insanely fun challenge. And again, I told you the conceptual art was so incredible. But to make sure I was on the right track, I took the book of conceptual art into the room with my kids. And I opened it up to the page where all five Guardian of the Galaxy characters are. And I said, who do you think they want Daddy to play? And my daughter so quickly pointed to Groot. <laughs> From that moment on, I was Groot. Amazing. And, and, and I never knew how much it would mean to my kids um but uh if they see a tree a tree form 
any tree, they go, oh, that's daddy's character. Already. Already. And I, I haven't it. even done the mocap and I haven't done the voiceover yet. Um, see, I don't even need to ask how fatherhood has affected you. I know. And changed you. See, we got that question. Because we know. <laughs> okay, well, I know I have to let you go because we've got to get you to your next thing. I have so many things I want to ask you. We'll I'm, do this again. I would love to. We will do this There's again. There's so much to talk about. I'm so incredibly excited about Riddick. I know your fans are excited and excited for Fast 7, 8, 9, and 10. 10? And everything else. Thank you so much. Everyone has a story, and this is just part of Vin Diesel's. To see more about my time today with Vin, visit conversationswithmaria.com. And you can see his new film, Riddick, in theaters starting September 6th. Thank you guys so much. Bye. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menunos, and the entire Conversation staff, we would like to thank you for listening to Conversations with Maria Menunos. To post comments or questions, be sure to visit conversationswithmaria.com or tweet at Maria Menunos, hashtag conversationswithmaria. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of Underman Omega Girl Productions. Hey, Heel Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heel Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heel events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heel Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.